Welcome to the McDark Horror Series. Lights out. Good. Here we go. I'm sorry I ended the last story so suddenly. One of those things came up to my window, so I had to quickly turn off my lamp and hide. I think they've gotten almost everyone in town. Other than those like me in hiding, I know it sounds awful to say, but I'm glad my mother is dead and doesn't have to see all of this. As I said before, both my grandfather and my father worked in the Copperfield Mine. They both also died there. If you haven't read my previous statement, I'll summarize it. My grandfather most likely found an entrance to hell and unwillingly released its occupants into the world of the living. He tried to stop it, but died in the process. That leads up to my father's death. Here is his story, told to me by my mother. My mother was pregnant with me about seven months along, when my father came home covered in blood and black coal soot. My mother, bless her soul, ran to him as fast as a seven-months pregnant woman could run. She spoke about a mile a minute and tried to usher him to the car to take him to the hospital. He waved her off and said, It's not mine, Jenny. It's not mine. He went past her and sat at the dining room table, blood dripping off him onto the hardwood floor. The stains are still there to this day. He sighed greatly as he eased himself into a chair leaning his head back and closing his eyes. My mother waddled into the kitchen, cradling her belly as she attempted to soothe her racing heart. What happened, Sam? Was there an accident? Whose blood is that? My father opened his eyes but gazed up at the ceiling. Blood continued to drip from his body and pooled on the floor around him. My mother eased herself into one of the dining chairs and watched him in silent terror. Do you remember that story Ma told us? When I told her I got a job up at the mine. My mother nodded and started to fan herself with one hand, the other still rubbing her belly. Well, we found the hole my father blasted, Paul and I. There had been rubble blocking it, like a, like a cave. It happened long ago. The boss had us clear it, and we found the opening. You should have felt the cold from it, Jenny. Like an icy winter was brewing in the heart of the mountain. He had stopped here and used the corner of the tablecloth to wipe the blood from his face. My mom said she burned it that very evening, once my father had gone to bed. Paul and I, we, we went in with our helmet lights on and some pickaxes. Boss was sure there was black gold in there. He couldn't have been more wrong. His voice had been shaky as he said this, and he was bouncing his leg aggressively with anxiety. It was just like she said. It was a lake, the biggest lake I'd ever seen. It went on for miles. We couldn't see the other end. And it was so cold. I could see my breath in front of my eyes. He sat forward suddenly and looked at my mother with wide, frightened eyes. She squealed in surprise, and because of her late pregnancy, she peed just a little bit. She went to clean herself as my father continued to sit at the table, looking out their back window at face a towering black mountain. When she came back, she sat herself down in another chair, and my father continued. There were voices. Millions and millions of voices. Crying, screaming, wailing. 
I, I could feel them vibrating in my skull. They were so loud and desperate. I couldn't move. I, I felt like my feet were rooted to the earth. He stood then, walking to the window and pulling the curtains shut, visibly shaking. Paul saw it first, out on the water. The boat Dad had seen. A gondola, I think, with a tall man guiding it. He was pushing it with a long stick. He made no noise as he came closer to shore. Paul and I, we couldn't move. We were so scared. I just kept thinking, this is what Dad saw. As the thing got closer, I realized how incredibly tall it was. It was like two men standing on top of one another. My father went to the kitchen sink and turned on the faucet. He slowly rinsed the drying blood from his hand and splashed water on his face. The water caused the blood to stream down his cheek, creating red streaks down to his neck. It was wearing an old raggedy gray cloak, but I could still see its face underneath. It was... it was made of copper... Its skin was shining in the light of our helmets and was so incredibly clean for something that lived in the belly of the mountain. Its face was a, a skull. While its bones reflected our light, it seemed to absorb and swallow it whole. My father then sat back down, leaned onto the kitchen table. His hands were clasped tightly together. My mother could tell he was trying hard not to shake. It walked up to us. No, it glided over to us. We looked up at it in frozen terror and awe. It was so terrifying, but so beautiful. I'd never seen something so bright and horrible at once. It then extended its hand out to us. It was that of a, a skeleton, bones bending at the knuckles. Then the metal squeaked as they rubbed together, it offered its hand to us and waited, like it wanted something. Paul and I, we just stood there, like a deer in headlights. His voice trailed off then, and for a few agonizing minutes they sat in silence. My mother was about to speak when my father continued, his voice hollow and empty. It, it pulled its hand back slowly, disappearing into its cloak. It stood for a moment, watching us with black dead eyes. I caught a glimpse of something near its head and realized its pole that it was using to push the boat had changed. A large, arched piece of copper metal now materialized on one end, glinting and razor sharp with one quick movement. My father stood and lifted his arms like he was holding a scythe and quickly swung it across the dead air in front of him. My mother gasped, startled, and fanned her sweating face faster. <gasps> it took off Paul's head, quickly and quietly. I didn't even notice until his blood rained over me. It was like a geyser. The blood went everywhere, and his helmet... My father laughed then, so hard that tears started to stream from his eyes. His helmet was still attached to his head. <laughs> It rolled around on the ground, the light, the light sending beams in all directions like some crazy party. It kept rolling and rolling and rolling until it went into the lake. Psh! He made a plop sound and dropped back into his chair. It's when I heard that, that I ran. I ran out of the tunnels, out of the mine, 
and all the way back here. The thing. It never made a sound the whole time. I don't even know if it chased me. After that, my father didn't speak of the incident anymore. My mother helped him bathe and put him to bed. He slept deeply, but tossed and turned so violently that my mother resorted to sleeping on their sofa for the night. Much like my grandfather before him, my father gathered tools and a large sheet of metal before going up to the mines the following morning. He kissed my mother goodbye. That's the last anyone saw of him. Much like his father, he went to seal the opening to that cursed lake. The mining company once again said it was a collapse that killed him, and another empty coffin was buried not far from my grandfather. Much like my grandmother, my mother called me to her side while she lay on her deathbed. She raised a shaking hand and pointed to something across the room. She was too weak to speak at this point. I followed the direction of her finger and saw her open purse sitting on the dresser. I brought it to her. She spent a minute rummaging through it, looking for something. I was about to offer my help when her hand pulled out her small pink coin purse. Her bony fingers dug out two copper pennies. She held them in her open palm. She looked up at me with sunken, sickly eyes and smiled. Her fingers wrapped around the coins, and she rested her closed hand on her chest. She then leaned her head back and took in her last shaking breath. I cried for a long time, holding her hand in mine as I wailed. I knew this moment was coming, but it didn't make it any easier. When I had no more tears to shed, I reached up and touched her other hand. I would be calling the funeral home, and I'm sure they didn't want to have to deal with more than my mother's cooling corpse. I slowly pried open her fingers and stared. Her palm was empty. The two copper coins were gone. I moved to... just a few months ago, and I think I'm gonna die here. They come to the window every night, tapping on the glass and whispering to me. They won't stop. I can't... I can't think straight. Okay, I'll start at the beginning. My name... my name is Dr. Fitcher, Matthew Fitcher. I'm 43. No... I'm 44 years old. God, they won't stop crying. I... I came here because of my grandmother. She said our ancestors used to live here, on this godforsaken island. I can hear them now. They're calling my name through the cracks in the wall, begging for me to join them. The island is barely even that. The center of the island is a bog, and the village runs around the perimeter. Why... Why would anyone live here? I came here. I don't remember when. Only because of my grandmother. I should have never, never listened to her. I thought it would be easy. Maybe some fishing accidents, the, the occasional flu. I never thought they would come back. Things had been fine at first. 
The villagers hadn't had a local doctor in years, and they were happy to see me. Amanda, my wife, she loved it here. She thought the bog was eerie but beautiful. She would go on and on about how she'd never seen one before. She's... she's at my window. Her dark hair is pasted to her once beautiful face. I'm so sorry, Amanda. Please. I'm so sorry. It happened when a local boy went missing. The villagers were smart not to venture into the bog, and the children were always too scared to. That was until little Isaac. I don't know why he went. Maybe you heard them too. The voices. They called him and embraced him. He was swallowed by the bog and forgotten. His parents were drunks. After a couple days, didn't even notice he was gone. They, they were the first. They came silently at first. A low fog would creep over the town. Silhouettes of people, those things, would start to wander into the town. They would go for the families, their descendants, one by one by one. People were getting dragged off to that cursed bog. They'd come back as one of them. Amanda, my, my sweet, sweet Amanda. She wanted to help a little girl. She thought it was a human. But then it turned around. The thing's face was sunken and gray. The eyes were burst and dripping from its sockets before Amanda could run. It, it, it got her, and I ran. I left her. I left her alone. I'm so sorry, Amanda. I'm sorry. I hid in my office. I'm running out of food. I don't know how long I've been here. The fog is so thick. I see them every time I look out. Amanda, she showed up yesterday. She doesn't call. She just watches me. Her hand is it's pressed against the glass. And her nails are missing. They must have ripped off as she dragged her. I'm so sorry, sweetheart. I didn't... I didn't know what to do. I panicked. Her eyes... Still a beautiful green. She smiles at me. Bits of grass stick out from between her teeth. Mud smears her face. But it's still her. It's still my Amanda. I think... I think I'll go to her. She wouldn't hurt me. She loves me. She knows it was a mistake that I... I'd never hurt her. I'll just... open my window and tell her. It was early morning, the sun's rays barely glistening over the horizon. Birds were just beginning their morning song, and the creatures of the night were beginning to scurry into their burrows, all but one. Its little beady eyes scanned the forest floor, searching for something. It skittered through the fallen leaves, sniffing the air for a hint of sustenance. It approached a plastic Chinese food takeout bag that had caught on the roots of a large tree. Pushing its head into the plastic bag, the critter sniffed and nibbled at the rotting leftovers that lay within. And on the animal went in search of more. From trash to trash, it went, scrounging up whatever edible pieces of garbage it could. 
It searched trash that had been blown in from the highway, or litter that irresponsible hikers left on the forest floor. Still, none of the rotten food left behind was enough to satisfy its hunger. Then it smelt it, a whiff of something fresh and new. It dashed through the bushes, following its nose as the smell grew stronger. The rumble in its stomach was like a caged beast, and all the animal could think of was sinking its teeth into whatever smelled so good. It came into a clearing, where a pile of leaves sat glistening with morning dew. The creature approached cautiously, sniffing around for other animals that might have also been attracted by the smell. Step by step, the little creature approached the pile, its black nose twitching at the delectable scent. Guided by the smell, the critter sunk its face into the wet leaves, its nose brushing against something cooling in the morning air. It first started to nibble, still listening to the woods around it for predators. Then it started to crunch, tearing off large pieces and chunks. Then it ripped and tore into the flesh, filling its nearly empty belly with the fresh meat. It had chewed down to the bone by the time it was finished. Blood stained its muzzle and little paws, and a red tongue licked at its lips. Satisfied, the creature scampered off towards the direction of its home. For the first time in a long time, it would fall asleep with a full belly. As it ran off into the underbrush, it left behind its partially devoured meal. It had eaten a majority of the woman's left arm, and there was little flesh remaining on her forearm and elbow. Other creatures would come in and eat the rest of her, until all that would remain is a smiling skull and a forgotten life. After all, death can also give life to those who scavenge. Thank you for listening. Have a nice day.